1: When we were kids, we all took our action figures and bashed them together as if those characters would actually have a reason to fight, and in a lot of those cases, the dialogue we made up in our heads for those action figures was probably better than what ended up in some superhero films. But don't worry, no need to bash anything here because we're about to venture into the world of DC and see if Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, greats in B, movies. Now, I have on this show multiple times confessed to you all that I am an utter and massive geek. I hold no reservations whatsoever. I wear my geekdom on my arm very, very, very proudly. So it pains me. To have to take one of the biggest, most anticipated superhero films of modern memory and see why the critics toured a new one. But I'm not alone in my quest. Joining me on the show to go down this road, Lal Rabishaw is back on the show. Lal, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing great, Jason. Always happy to uh, to lambaste myself by running the gauntlet with you and talking about these movies especially this one.
1: I am admittedly surprised that you came back after grading on a curve the last time.
0: You know, it was difficult, but at least I've already seen this one several times and have already broken it down so I didn't actually have to re-watch this one. My notes have been in my head for this episode for years, I think. I have been uh, prepping for this. It's just like the simulations. He's been waiting his whole damn life for this one. Yes.
1: (laughs) So, yes, we are talking about Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And it feels kind of fitting because we're talking about this film at the end of the DCEU as we know it, before Zack Snyder takes it and does whatever the hell he's going to do with it. Sorry, not Zack Snyder. James Gunn. <laughs> Zack Snyder's this one. James Gunn is the next DCEU. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank
0: goodness he's here. Um,
1: I'm going to ask you, though, because when this trailer came out, not the movie, the trailer, when this trailer came out, how loudly did you squeeze the minute you saw it?
0: Um, Tell me, do you bleed was my catchphrase in high school. this when this came out uh this movie for me was a magnum opus i was so excited i didn't even not even just with the trailer i was there watching the comic-con live stream when they had someone come out and read the phrase um you're going to remember the one man that beat you clark and then the big batman symbol came up behind the superman symbol everybody thought it was an announcement for a man of steel sequel and then it turned out to be what i thought was going to be called world's finest but it wasn't. It turned out to be Batman versus. I was on board. I was hook, line, and sinker. Uh, the marketing department did their job with me anyway. Couple years of anticipation, couldn't wait. And uh, of course, it must have not gone well because here we sit.
1: Exactly, and that's the thing. Like this film was so highly anticipated and so like looked forward to, and it crapped the bed.
0: Ooh, yeah. Big time.
1: Like this was the turning point from like goodwill towards the DCEU after Man of Steel to everything that kind of came after it. And it became the butt of many a Deadpool joke at least. But here we are. We're about to go down this road. But before we do, before we do our best to go back down this road and prove that it's not that bad, we need to take Batman V Superman Dawn of Justice and trailerize it.
2: In the modern world of King Crusader movie making, one truth stands above all. Fanboys will lose their ish over anything and everything. Now, enter a film where fanboys will have a bat buffet to dine from to appease their super appetitive hate. Henry Cavill returns as the Man of Steel to a world that's less Daily Planet and more Fox News. Between reporters questioning his motives, politicians looking to corral him, and directors trying to make him emote, Superman will finally meet his match in the Dark night. Ben Affleck dons the cowl and the scowl as Batman, a craggy, rugged version of Bruce Wayne, who apparently likes to kill as much as Superman did in his first film. They're destined to go toe-to-toe in a battle to see not who will win, but a challenge to see how fast people start throwing popcorn at the screen and leave the theater. There's no saving Martha here. It's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Rated PG-13 for Praise for Gal. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and that's that's about it that's the only good part of
1: me i'm not even gonna say that was a better trailer than the one that came out because i was as stoked as you were the minute this trailer came out i remember like losing my ish at the idea of a batman versus superman movie and then we watched it
0: like the hype was so real for me because obviously it came out at such a time where the Marvel Cinematic Universe was at its peak, like there was no more hype around superhero movies, and that probably the most popular superhero movies will ever be. I very much akin the age that this came out in to Western movies with with Superman with superhero movies. Western movies follow a very similar path to what superheroes are, superhero movies are doing right now. At one point, every second movie that came out was a Western movie. Everything was set in the wild, wild west. And then over time, you saw the genre fatigue start. And even to this day, they're still not nearly as popular and almost a rarity. And I do think you're going to see that trend over the next 10 years, the superhero films as well. And I do think this movie is where the trend started to go in the opposite direction.
1: Well, I mean, it doesn't help that, uh, and let's be honest here, every potential franchise that came out all of a sudden decided oh we have to have a shared universe because marvel is doing that and doing it very well you know if you remember tom uh, tom Cruise's the mummy all of a sudden part of the dark universe well that didn't exactly fly there was the big possibility of pacific rim and godzilla and king kong all being part of the shared monster verse and you kind of got some of that i'm still waiting for pacific rim to enter the kaiju verse but everything was playing catch up to marvel and trying to speed run its way to get there and i think this is that's the biggest fault for this is that they tried to speed run they tried to shoehorn in way too many comic book storylines and if you weren't into comic books or this was like you know you knew batman you knew superman you knew wonder woman but you didn't know the different arcs that this kind of pulled from you're sitting there going what the f- is going on
0: yeah and i think what happened here and the way i like to say it when i talk about this movie with my friends is that marvel decided to cook their universe like julia child dc tried to cook their universe like a sped out line cook in the back of a fast food restaurant all the ingredients were there for marvel they started in 2008 and it was a really slow burn you had iron man with hints at the end of Iron Man 2 that maybe something might be happening. Then you had Captain America, and then you had Thor, and then things slowly kind of started to tapestry themselves together into this big overarching story, but they took their time. DC just decided, we don't need to do that. We can get there in three hours and try to set up an entire universe worth of team-ups, and it just didn't work. I think that's one of the biggest things that keeps this movie from being fantastic is that there are just too many ingredients in the soup. Some of the ingredients are really good. And we'll get to that later because I think the casting was great. And I think the idea was great. The, the, the plot line and the ideas they had were good, but there was just too many balls flying in the air at the same time for them to get anything perfectly. They were just trying to get it out the door and were looking down the timeline at the next 10 movies before they made sure the foundation was there.
1: Oh, yeah. No. I'm glad you mentioned that it was well cast because the first time you were on this show, we were talking about Batman Forever. And at that point, they that was probably the longest list of almost starring that we've had on this show. It might get trumped today because the almost starring in this film is huge but let's get to that okay the movie stars henry cavill ben affleck gal gadot amy adams jesse eisenberg diane lane lawrence fishburne jeremy irons holly hunter and many others way too many to talk about at this point and of course directed by king of Slowmo mo himself Zack snyder This is where the almost-starring kicks in. We're going to start with the role of Batman, because obviously Superman had already been cast, so there's no almost-starring for Superman. But let's start with Batman here. Jeffrey Dean Morgan was considered for the role of Batman, but was eventually cast as Thomas Wayne. I don't think I would have minded Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
0: Not at all. I think he actually has, because this Batman was very much supposed to be based off of of uh, the Dark Knight, the story of the Frank Miller story where he does come back a bit grizzled, a little bit older and kind of with a little less zest for life, we'll say. A little more of a depressing, gritty version of the character that's already gritty and depressing. So I don't think he would have been a miss. I think that would have been a pretty good pass. And hearing that he was
1: considered for the role of Batman, I, I need to vent here. Before we get to the rest of the potentials for Batman here, I need to vent here. I'm not a big fan of the Flash movie. I'm not. But knowing that they were going to go down that flashpoint road, you had the possibility of having Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a alcoholic Thomas Wayne who turned Batman because it was Bruce that was shot as opposed to you know him and Martha. You could have had him as Batman and... The, and, and Martha, as the Joker, you could have had that angle in Flash, but you didn't. You had... It's,
0: yeah. it's funny you mention that because I actually compare the Flash movie to this movie a lot because they feel very, very similar. You're right there. You have all the ideas in place. It's just bad. Uh, one really bad casting decision in the main actor, obviously. And then it just falls apart because there's too many p- pieces in motion. I completely agree. If they would have just followed the Flashpoint graphic novel to a T and done that exact story, this is what I don't understand about comic book movies that don't do well because they stray away from the source material. You have the script written for you. It was written 10 years ago. It's there in the book. The book has sold so many copies because people love the beats. They love the ramping up. The villains are there. Everything is already done for you. All you have to do is turn it into a physical medium and put it on a screen. You don't have to touch anything. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We're here in the seats paying our money because we want to see this story that we all know and love play out in front of us instead of in our minds in a book. So when these things flop because they go too far away from what they're trying to touch, especially in a movie like The Flash where they've never done the Flashpoint Paradox on television before, it's frustrating because it's just like, man, you have it. It's right, it's right there. Like...
1: Yeah, no, and the thing is, it's not like DC was handcuffed like Marvel was. At that time, and keep in mind, too, this film came out the same year as Captain America Civil War. So we were already getting our two superheroes, you know, going mano-a-mano in the Marvel-verse. But the thing with Marvel is that they had characters that they could not use because Fox or Universal still had the rights to them. DC had everybody. You could have had everybody if you wanted it.
0: Not even everybody. They had comic book writers on staff to help with these movies. Justice League as well, which I'm sure we're going to do on here eventually. (laughs) They had Jeff Johns in the room to do the rewrites because they realized, oh, this is bad. We got to fix it. Do that from the beginning. You have the people that lent their creativity to write these things in the first place. Go to that well and just make it with them from the start. And I, I don't understand how these things flop as hard as they do, especially Batman versus Superman. How do you take something that is so important to what you have going forward, starring your two kingpin characters, the two main spokes of the wheel, if you do have this 10-year roadmap, like Marvel is still doing to this day. The the ramifications from movies we were watching in 2008 eight nine are still playing out in front of us. If you want to do that, you have to do what they do and make sure that those characters land really well. Like, what would have happened if uh, Robert Downey Jr. bombed as Iron Man? None of that would have gone down. We wouldn't have Endgame. We wouldn't have the the dominance stranglehold on Disney Plus that Marvel has. So, when these, when these things happen, like I said, it, it baffles me about how they fumble the ball on something this big.
1: Apparently, also, Zack Snyder had asked Jason Momoa to audition for Batman, and Momoa was like, figured he wasn't the Batman type. Momoa I wasn't know. wrong, and you know, I... And I don't think he's the Aquaman type either. Hear me out. Again, here's the missed opportunity: Jason Momoa as Lobo.
0: Oh yeah, no, he would be perfect. He looks kind of like Lobo. You paint, you paint him white, and he looks like Lobo. Yeah, I do. I do like him as Aquaman. I actually think the Aquaman movie, the first one, is one of the shining lights of this era of the DC universe movies. Self-contained in a bottle, obviously problematic co-star with Amber Heard now, but Jason Momoa's Aquaman I really like. He's one of the few things in Justice League even I look at and I'm like, thank God you're here because if not <laughs> for you, it would be very depressing more so than it already is.
1: Jason Momoa, king of the brotion. Uh, okay, but now t- listen to this list. <laughs> listen to this list, okay? This is the considered or actually auditioned for Batman list. Scott Adkins, who was in John Wick 4 and Day Shift. Army Hammer, Josh Brolin, John Hamm, Gerard Butler, Richard Armitage, Orlando Bloom, Luke Evans, Tyler Hoshlin, Anson Mount, and Matthias Schoenaerts. That's a hell of a list of people where who were we, considered for Batman.
0: Where do we even start? Orlando Bloom. Like, that—that that is the one that really was like, what he, what? Like, he does not look like Batman at all. Josh Brolin and John John Ham out of all of those is probably the one that I'm like you know what he could do it. Uh, obviously, Mad Men he basically played Bruce Wayne, so we would just have to see if he could fill out the suit. But I think John Ham would be the name out of that list where I'm like oh he could do it, and he could probably do a really good turn at it.
1: See, I'm looking at this list and the the name that really sticks out to me is Anson Mount. I mean, we saw what he did with Black Bolt and given a better script, probably not that the script really affected him much because, you know, he didn't say a damn thing. Yeah. But Anton Mount, you know, in Star Trek has proven that that he can lead the ship. And I think he would have been a good Batman.
0: This is my favorite game to play. <laughs> Who would be a good Batman? Because obviously I've seen them all a hundred times. You wear your geekdom on your sleeve. So do I. But I literally wear my Batman love on my sleeve. I have a Batman tattoo so this is I've gone back and forth on this a lot but see here's the thing about this movie I like Ben Affleck's Batman. I don't have a problem with Ben Affleck's Batman. I have a problem with how that Batman was written. Mm. I think he fills out the suit great. I think he looks a lot like the Frank Miller version of the character. This older, broader, wider version of Batman, not kind of the sleek Batinson version that we are we just saw also amazing I think his version of Batman could have been amazing, and it's right there, but like, there's just too much else going on for him to have that time to shine. And, of course, he's killing people, which he does do in the Frank Miller novels, but not as blatantly as uh, as the warehouse scene in this movie where he breaks in and seems to off like four people in the span of 45 seconds.
1: All right. This one's going to trigger some people because I know this is probably the character that got the most people upset. The role of Lex Luthor. Now, apparently, the studio had in mind Tom Hanks to play Lex Luthor after seeing him in Cloud Atlas. I don't see it.
0: No, absolutely not. Not just because it's Tom Hanks and seeing him as a villain is difficult for me, but he doesn't have the swagger, if that's the right term. Lex Luthor in the books is the the embodiment of greed and wrath. He is just this very sleek, very agile, a cat-like person. And I don't see that in in Tom Hanks. I also don't see it in Jesse Eisenberg. So
1: <laughs> but listen to this list of considerations and rumors, okay? Matt Damon, Bradley Cooper, Joaquin Phoenix, Adam Driver, Jean Dujardin who was in The Artist and The Wolf of Wall Street, Denzel Washington, Mark Strong, and Brian Cranston.
0: If you didn't do Brian Cranston, you've already screwed up. Right? I have I was following the rumors for the Lex Luthor casting because after everybody knew who the two main pieces would be, everybody's next question was okay, who were the villains? And I remember Brian Cranston being rumored and all of the message boards and all of my uh, circle were going wild because that makes so much sense on paper, not just from the look. But Brian Cranston is really good at quiet intensity. Mm-hmm. And that is what Lex Luthor does a lot in both the cartoon version of the character and in other live action versions there have been. It's always a very quiet, intense hate that he has. I think Brian Cranston would have absolutely knocked it out of the park. There's more rumors about him right now being Mr. Freeze in the next Battinson movie. So fingers crossed, maybe we can get his villain turn in a superhero movie in the future. I mean, I
1: personally would have loved to have seen Stanley Tucci. As Lex Luthor?
0: Denzel Washington, too. I, I would not put away Denzel Washington maybe knocking that out of the park as well, just because he's Denzel Washington. He's kind of already played that character before in a couple of his other works. But the one that they went, like of all the names you just listed, it's baffling that they went with what they went with. Yeah. Uh, evil. The evil Mark Zuckerberg version of the character <laughs> is just not for me playing basketball and like having conversations about stupid just oh my god i'm gonna get angry already we've only been doing this like 15
1: minutes (laughs) in the role of alfred apparently under consideration was timothy dalton and i like that pick now and again this is nothing against jeremy irons but timothy dalton that that would have been pristine
0: yeah i think it would have been too thankfully though one of the shining lights in this movie is iron's turn as alfred uh people kind of downplay the importance of alfred in the batman scope of things but when you think about it the character whoever plays batman has the most lines usually with whoever plays alfred in most of the other batman movies so it's a really really important casting especially if you're launching into this new era like this was supposedly doing uh i think they went with what the best option at the time
1: And if Jeremy Irons is your best option, that's a pretty damn good option.
0: Yeah, that's a great option. He is fantastic.
1: In the role of Wonder Woman, I want to bring this up first. Before we get to the people who actually auditioned or were apparently up for the role, major fan choice to play Wonder Woman was Alexandra Daddario. I can easily see her as Wonder Woman. Like, she she looks the part already.
0: I was one of the people who was really, really shooting for that because... I can't remember what she had just been in before this movie came out. I know her the most from uh, Baywatch, and I believe she was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake as well, and she was really good in that. She was the final girl, and she does. She looks the part. She So does Gail Godot, obviously, and she has taken the character and really made it into something special. One of the shining lights of this version of the DCU, next to Aquaman is Wonder Woman. I don't think there was a bad choice there, because if it came down to the two of them, there's, there's no bad option between Godot and Adario.
1: Oh, yeah, and keep in mind, too, I, I think around that time, too, she was in, what was that, uh, the Earthquake film that had Dwayne Johnson in it? Oh,
0: uh San Andreas. That's San the Andreas. one.
1: But also, she was in Percy Jackson.
0: She was in Percy Jackson, too, and that was a great show. That was a really good uh There's a couple of movies, yeah. Yeah, I loved loved the books, and the movie was really good. I'm excited for the series to come out as well, but more because it has Edge in it.
1: Now, apparently, Jamie Alexander was up for the role, but she couldn't do it because, of course, she was Lady Sif in Thor.
0: Which was interesting to me when you said Josh Broland was up for uh, the role of Batman because that was around the time that he would have started off as Thanos, I believe.
1: True, but when you consider, too, that she was also in her own show as well, The Blind Spot, uh, that was, you know, in heavy production at that time as well. So, Jimmy Alexander was kind of busy. But also, apparently, who auditioned was Olga Kurilenko, who's probably best known as Taskmaster in the Black Widow film, and Elodie Young, who's probably best known as playing Electra Nachios in the Netflix Daredevil series.
0: Yeah, which was fantastic. She was really good as Electra. Uh, Loved the Daredevil series, but this is another one where I I just think they went with the best decision at the time. Very few things in this movie went right. Wonder Woman was one of the few.
1: In an alternate timeline, The Flash would not have been Ezra Miller in this film because apparently, again, all of this according to IMDb under consideration or linked to the role of The Flash at the time was Bradley Cooper, Chris Pine, Ryan Quanton, Matthew Fox, and Scott Porter. The Ryan Quanton picks is, is is quite interesting to me.
0: Yeah, that's a kind of an out-of-left-field one. I think Chris Pine might have actually done a really good job as well. He's funnier than people realize. And The Flash is kind of the comic relief of the Justice League. So you have to pick somebody that kind of has the chops for that. And, again, this is another one where you look at the long list and you're like, why did they go with what they went with of all the people that were on your kind of casting list, even on the cutting room floor, that was the best you could come up with. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, the other thing too is if Chris
1: Pine was The Flash, and that would have been good for The Flash. I mean, why you didn't just grab Grant Gustin, I don't know. But pulling Chris Pine towards The Flash would have lessened how good the first Wonder Woman film was.
0: Probably. You're probably right, because he did play... He was one of the best parts of that movie. Like, obviously, Gal, uh, Gal Gadot was, was the star of it, but he he kind of lended the humanity to the character a little bit. So you're right, there would have been a bit lost yeah. there if he wasn't in Wonder Woman, the first one.
1: I mean, that's the thing. Steve Trevor humanizes Diana Prince. You need a good Steve Trevor, and Chris Pine was stellar in the role.
0: And honestly, one of the most underrated superhero villains in any superhero movie was Ares in the first Wonder Woman movie. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: That
0: was one of the best twists, one of the best reveals of a character that you knew but never expected to see there. Obviously, Dr. Poison was cool, a throwback to like a villain from the 1940s. Like that was it, not just out of left field, like I didn't even know who Dr. Poison was when I was there watching it in theater. I don't want to toot my own horn, but like if I don't know who the villain is then I have to go back and do some back reading, you've done a good job pulling something out of the D-list and making it cool. So, the Ares version in Wonder Woman, I still put that up there as one of the most underrated villains ever put to screen for a superhero movie.
1: Now, also under consideration for the role of Cyborg, and we have to mention these these superheroes that were really only in it for a little bit because, well, they were in it. This is kind of the soft launch of those characters. Michael B. Jordan was under consideration for the role of Cyborg, and that would have been freaking awesome.
0: It would have been awesome. He is so good in everything that he does.
1: Now in preparing for this episode i i'd like to say treated myself but more tortured myself because i watched the ultimate edition which is three hours long and rated r apparently the original runtime like the first cut runtime was four hours long
0: that's a lot of martha
1: (laughs) oh god now that being said We've been, you know, we've been ripping a little bit on this film already here, but this did do well at some of the award ceremonies. Now I'm gonna, I'm not gonna read all of them, but these are the ones that really kind of stood out to me. At the 2017 Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Comic to Film Motion Picture, lost to Doctor Strange, and it was nominated for Best DVD Blu-ray Special Edition Release, lost to Phantasm Remastered. At the 2016 Critics Choice Awards gal gadot was nominated for best actress in an action movie she lost to her dc counterpart margot robbie in suicide squad at the 2017 people's choice awards the movie was nominated for fave action movie lost to deadpool at the 2016 golden trailer awards it won for most original poster at the 2017 central ohio film critics association awards Michael Shannon won for Actor of the Year. Now, it should be known that he was really nominated for Complete Unknown, Elvis and Nixon, Frank and Lola, Loving, Midnight Special, and Nocturnal Animals uh, in this film, too. So, he was kind of busy. At the 2017 Oklahoma Film Critics Circle Awards, Amy Adams won for Best Body of Work that year for this arrival and nocturnal animals and that's actually a really good list of films you know to have a yeah that makes sense hair. but this is where things turn sour because at that same awards ceremony the film won for most disappointing film at the 2017 all deaf movie awards the movie won for movies you wish you could unsee at the 2017 yoga awards jeremy irons won for most overexposed actor now listen to this list okay For this movie, Assassin's Creed, Correspondence, High Rise, The Man Who Knew Infinity, and Race.
0: Yeah, that's a lot and not a lot of quality in there either.
1: I I didn't mind High Rise, but I also read the novel that it was based on. so.
0: I didn't hate the Assassin's Creed movie either. It just had a lot to live up to.
1: You're one of the few who didn't like it or who did like it. Uh, Ben Affleck also won for for Worst Foreign Actor for that year. At the 2016 Golden Schmoes Award, the movie was nominated for worst movie of the year. and lost to Zoolander 2. It was nominated for best DVD Blu-ray of the year. lost to Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And it was nominated for best action sequence of the year. Lost to the airport battle in Captain America Civil War. However, it did win the award for biggest disappointment of the year. And then we get to the 2017 Razzies. We got, we got to end with the Razzies here. We
0: got to. And I, I know this list, I think, because I, I watched this ceremony.
1: <laughs> the film was nominated for Worst Picture. It lost to Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill were both nominated for Worst Actor. They lost to Dinesh D'Souza for Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. And Zack Snyder was nominated for Worst Director. He lost to Dinesh D'Souza. However, they did win a few awards. Jesse Eisenberg won for Worst Supporting Actor. Both Affleck and Cavill won for Worst Screen Combo. Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer won for Worst Screenplay. And the movie won for Worst Prequel, Remake, ripoff, or Sequel. But that didn't affect the box office. The film had a budget of $250 million. Domestically, it only made $330 million, but worldwide it did make $874 million. When it debuted on the May 25th long Easter weekend, $181 million, clearly number one. The next highest grossing film was the fourth week of Of Zootopia with only 28 million. The only other major debut that weekend was my big fat Greek Wedding 2, debuted at number three with a respectable 19.8 million, considering the film. But the reason why we are here, and not because we do like to, you know, you know, bash on this movie. It's the critics who bash on the film. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 44. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 63% the tomatometer 29 percent and to put this into perspective this is the second lowest tomatometer of the entire dceu the lowest we've already covered it on the show suicide squad so when you take a look at this I'm, I'm gonna say this like in regards to the dceu i will say that i think Batman v Superman kind of gets a bit of a bum rush because I don't think it's the second worst film.
0: I do. (laughs) Definitely do. Do I think it's the second worst film? Yes, but it had way more potential than Suicide Squad. I don't think it should be that close. The pieces were here. You had the chessboard set up for a Grandmaster game, and they really could have got the jump on Marvel with this if they did it correctly. And I think that's what the thought process was. They were obviously trying to skip a bunch of time, and rather than do a Batman movie and then a Wonder Woman movie, then have them team up, they were just like, well, we've already done Man of Steel, everybody knows Batman, let's just do it and go. I don't disagree with the concept. It was the execution of it. Almost think that maybe if they released the four-hour version, the reception would have been a little bit better because they just didn't have enough time to cover the bases they were trying to cover. And that's what it is. the movie itself, the plot, the characters, what they were trying to do was fantastic and I wish it would have succeeded. I was betting a lot a lot on it succeeding. But second ba- second worst, yes, I agree, but I think there should be a very wide gap between it and Suicide Squad Suicide Squad is a burning pile. Like
1: See, I take a look at the DCEU and if I'm if I'm Putting a film it's second worst, it's probably going to be Wonder Woman 84.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad. But at the same time, I think Godot carries it. You have an excuse there to say it's not second worst because at least the main character is true to the story and at least they did the comic book story justice. And I loved the version of Cheetah from that movie.
1: I'll give you that. I'll I'll give it. Okay, so maybe it is the second worst film, but let's get into why it is. And we're going to start with Henry Cavill, the Man of Steel himself. Of course, reprising the role from the Man of Steel film. How was Henry Cavill in this for you?
0: Henry Cavill, I think, ranks up there as one of the best Supermen. And if you want a really, it's not very long, and people are going to laugh at me for saying this, but if you want to see how much potential that character had, watch the post credit scene of black adam when he shows up and talks to the black adam and says we have to talk that is superman he plays it really well there and man of steel was good too but here the writing just was not there and there was no emotion to the character whatsoever it was really really difficult to even wrap your head around that this is Superman Superman usually as we know him especially on the screen is the boy scout bright red colors like hands on hips uh, Hulk Hogan eat your vitamins say your prayers kind of thing and this just went in a completely different direction which I understand the super grittiness of the Batman but I think what was lost here is that the whole dynamic there that makes these two characters work and makes them interesting to read and watch is you have one that's super oh, gritty dark you know where are they And then you've got the one that's kind of more fun and bright and has a positive outlook on life. And this Superman did not.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I I think part of the problem is the fact that for some reason, you know, pop culture has wanted to take these characters who were, for lack of a better term, goody-goody, as you mentioned, the Boy Scout, and put a little tarnish on the shine to... Take them down a notch or two. You know, you mentioned Hulk Hogan. it's the same theory as like the WWE attitude era when characters like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock were being propelled up because they were the bad guys because they were the anti heroes. heroes exactly yeah. what i was thinking it's the same reason why wolverine became bigger than the x-men because of the character that he was and when you have a character that is so textbook like boy scout there's no other way to put it i mean hell he's been called boy scout in numerous animated films The goal is to try to take him down. And, of course, Batman being the the obvious character in the DC universe to try to to bring him down to his level. But the thing is, think about the supermen that are most revered. Christopher Reeve, right? And Christopher Reeve's superman was exactly the comic book version of Superman. He was, you know, truth, justice, and the American way. He was stand up for the rights of everyone. You know, everyone deserves a fighting chance. Everyone deserves their day in court. Pure justice for him. He is
0: the the best man that isn't a man. He is the alien that has adopted what you should be as an Earthling. That's what makes the character so good. And so when you stray from that, it doesn't matter. If you have the guy that looks the most like Superman, talks the most like Superman, and cuts the figure that you expect. When I think of Superman in my head, I picture Henry Cavill. He's amazing mm-hmm. at the character, and you can tell that he put a lot of love into Everything he does, he puts a lot of love into it, because he wears his geekdom on his sleeve as well. Mm-hmm. And to, And that was the most disappointing part. After seeing Man of Steel and really seeing potential there, at a guy who could do four Superman movies like Christopher Reeve could, and I wouldn't get tired of seeing it. I wanted to see Henry Cavill against a Brainiac. I wanted to see uh, Henry Cavill against a Mongol or something like that. And then to see him get written like this and become this depressing, like he almost whisper talks half of this movie.
1: I think there's the problem too. And you're right. Henry Cavill as Superman is pristine casting
0: Yes, like it's, it's amazing.
1: Like, his very presence gives you Superman vibes. We didn't need a Batman versus Superman film. And I recognize part of my issue with the whole Batman versus Superman to begin with is that it pulls from The Dark Knight Returns. And we saw that animated series or the animated film before this. And it did it well.
0: And also... They did that, the Dark Knight Rises version, sorry, not the Dark Knight Rises version, but the Dark Knight Returns version. They did that on the backing of like 30 years of comic book writing. They expected anyone who read that book to already know the pieces, right? So like you said, this movie should never have been Batman versus Superman. It should have been World's Finest. It should have been the two of them coming together to fight the Doomsday threat or whatever God's name they came up with, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Doomsday, I call him from this one, because that's what he looks like. (laughs) I always say that that's what should have happened. There should have never been any conflict between the two of them because most of the bad parts of this movie and most of the things that cause me pain from this movie are when they are at odds with each other. When they team up and realize we're on the same page here, things do get better and you see the little nuggets of gold in the riverbed of crap that is this movie. When you see those little nuggets of, oh, this could have been really good... If they weren't at odds the entire time, it should have been a team up, which everybody loves in comic books, not two and a half hours of them fighting, Wonder Woman randomly showing up, and oh, Doomsday's here, now we're friends.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about the list of source material that they had pulled from from this film, right? Obviously, the Dark Knight returns, but you also have the Nightmare sequence. You get a little bit of Crisis on Infinite Earth thrown in there. You have the whole Doomsday death of Superman. Like, pick a story, pick one. Yeah and do that and the thing is they had a possibility they had a chance here and i flashback because i because i often praise the dc animated films because they do it right they absolutely do it right for the most part they do it right batman superman public enemies should have been the template for this batman's already established you don't need to redo his origin story superman's established because we had man of steel you have lex luthor you can have Luthor using public sentiment against superman to bolster his own presidential cam- you know hope uh, campaign and turning all of these heroes and villains against both batman and superman and ha- you know, trying to turn the public against the cape crusader like the, the 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 vigilantes right there's that that's all you need
0: yes that's and you can do you it with, without prefacing it with them having to fight first Yeah, because it doesn't actually happen that many times in the comic books where they do end up fighting Uh, the Dark Knight returns and very, very recently uh, the Joker takeover of the Justice League in the Scott Snyder, Greg Capello run of Batman. Very few times do Batman and Superman actually fight as much as we want to see it. You see that when it happens on the screen, it doesn't make any sense because that's half the reason why they had to write Superman as a little bit different. The Boy Scout in him and most of the books wants to be friends with Batman. He understands that conflict does not benefit anybody. So it just, it's so baffling that they had all of these pieces, like I said, set up on the board that could have been awesome, but they just completely bungled it by putting too many on the board.
1: Which, for the record, if you ever are looking at a good, or for a good DC animated film, Public Enemies is a great one to watch. I'm not the biggest fan of the animation that they did in the film, but... The story you, line's can't, great.
0: you can't go wrong with the DC animated movies. Most of them are good. Um, the Dark Knight part one and part two. Uh, that is the definitive version of that story brought to life. I think the scene at the end where older Batman and older Joker are in the carnival ride, that last fight. It is. Wow. It is, it is so good. Wish I could see it in live action. They, they do a really good job. The Teen Titans animated ones also fantastic.
1: Oh, I mean, Absolutely. DC animated has been killing it for a long time, but I think if there's one that people are going to, you know, lose their ish on it's the killing joke.
0: Yes. The killing joke is obvious. It's, it's the Batman story. It is the one where people ask me if I want to read one self-contained graphic novel of Batman, which one should I start with? I always tell them either the killing joke or the long Halloween. If you want colorful comic booky Batman, go for the long Halloween. If you want something that is, Dark as the inside of a cow when you're not expecting how dark it gets. The Killing Joke. True. the animated... I mean,
1: obviously, if you're going to make an animated film of a comic book like The Killing Joke, you're going to have to dial it back a little bit. But for the record, I'm putting you on notice right now. The animated Batman The Killing Joke qualifies.
0: Which doesn't make any sense to me because I know it didn't get the best critical reception, but I honestly think it was because people... A lot of people that were going into that didn't know the source material because it is very... Even the animated movie, they did leave out a lot, especially with the Barbara and the Joker stuff. But you had you to. Well, you couldn't do some of that on screen without getting a <laughs> heavy, heavy R rating. But I think a lot of people that went into that didn't necessarily understand what they were getting themselves into and were a little bit appalled by what they saw. A lot of reviews that I read that were negative about that said that.
1: Yeah. But... um I mean, yeah. it baffles me that anything with both Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill gets any kind of low rating, but here we are. We'll, we'll have to cover that one down the road. But speaking of Batman, how about Batfleck?
0: Ah, this is what we're here for. I've prepared for this. But like, my soapbox is clearly underneath my feet. <laughs> ben Affleck is a good Batman. I'm going to start by, he obviously cared about the character because he pushed very, very hard to be in this movie. He kind of campaigned because he believed in the vision, and he really liked the character. And I think, like I said, all it's much like Henry Cavill. All the pieces are there, but whoever wrote him didn't understand what Batman was. Gone is the nuance. Guilant is, is the silent protector. Gone is the stealth. All that out the window for full blazing, balls to the wall, blowing walls up. Um, I always bring up the warehouse scene, because this is the scene where you kind of get your first look at this Batman in the movie when he gets into a warehouse and takes out like 20 guys with all of his gadgets and stuff like that, it isn't what you're used to seeing. You're used to stuff like Batman Begins, and even the Batman 1989 where he's draped in the shadows, he comes out, grabs somebody, they go quiet, and then he goes off and silently picks everybody off. Nah, not in this one. Blows a wall off, grappling all over. It just, like, the character is great, but the way they're presented doesn't feel like the character you know.
1: Yeah, no. This was this was very much the Arkham Asylum, you know, Arkham City kind of version of Batman yes. that you actually wanted. Like if you're a gamer and you see this scene, and you're like, "Hell's yeah, I just completed yeah. that level," you know. I think Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne, considering where Batman is in his life at this point, because it is a, a more grizzled, a more world-weary Bruce Wayne.
0: He's been around.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think he is a very good Bruce Wayne in very much the same way that Michael Keaton... Like, this would almost be the natural evolution of what Michael Keaton would have ended up as had we seen Michael Keaton in later years. But, and I know we saw him already in The Flash, but I'm talking like, you know, go down that Frank Miller-esque road and darken his story a little bit. But, I don't know, aside from the warehouse scene, I don't know if he's as good as a Batman, and maybe it's because... I have that Kevin Conroy kind of dialogue in my head. That's the dialogue I wanted for this Batman.
0: Exactly. And like, he doesn't sound as smart, if that makes any sense. There's a lot less of the witty banter and the I, I am smarter than you, therefore I'm better than you. It's much more about raw power. It's much more about look at the things that I have and the Batmobile and obviously the Knight and the giant like Power Rangers Megazord suit he has on by the end of the movie. It's much less of what you know and more about trying to up the scope and make it more grandiose, which isn't the character. A lot of the battles of Batman movies aren't won by explosives. They're won by being smarter and just outwitting the opponent. So when the whole movie is based around a fight between basically a sun god in Superman and then even more so with Teenage Mutant Ninja uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Doomsday, it doesn't give you any room to flex the Batman muscles. It doesn't give you any time to show off what the character's supposed to be good at because there's so many explosions and so many huge set pieces going on.
1: Oh yeah, I mean if if you think about, you know, and then going back to uh, Justice League War, you know, again going back to the anime series, you had Batman pretty much defeat Doomsday, or not Doomsday, but um Dark Side, literally through like smarts and out chess moving him. That's the and thing. that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, we didn't get you know chess master Batman. We got we got grizzled vigilante that may, that would have fed in better with Watchmen.
0: Yes, very much so. This felt like a, it didn't feel like Batman. He was great looking as Batman. He even, the Batman voice, which of course everybody makes fun of whenever someone new gets cast as Batman, what's the voice sound like? He had everything down, and I think if he would have had his own solo movie with a different, I think Batfleck could have been something very special. I was one of the few people who was on board with this when they announced it, because much like every time someone gets cast in a Batman movie, there is immediate backlash. Like, every, oh, he can't be him. He was in this. How is he going to be Batman? Blah, 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 blah. Hopefully that's put to bed after Battenson. But I was one of the few people who was kind of, I was rooting for Ben Affleck from the start because I thought this could be something really special. And you can see, like I said, the shreds of something in there, but they just, they couldn't get it out of him with all of this crazy nonsense going around.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Affleck was a good choice. The script didn't do him any favors. Yes, exactly. Gal Godot as Wonder Woman. So clearly not the fan choice, but afterwards, definitely one of the brighter spots.
0: Uh, she is Wonder Woman to me. When you can do so well bringing a character off the page that when I read the comic books, I now read them in your voice, you've landed. When I read Batman comic books, it's Kevin Conroy's voice in my head. When I read Wonder Woman comic books, it's Gail Godot because to me, she is the quintessential character. I cannot say anything bad about her in this movie. She's not in it very long, but the stuff that she does do, she's the only one where it's like, okay, that's Wonder Woman. That everything that she's doing on the screen, I could see Wonder Woman doing on the page. They're not changing anything. There's nothing unnecessary. The one person in this that I can point at and go, she is a bright spot in this is, is Wonder Woman, uh, Gail Godot. Her her movie, her solo movie was good. Obviously the sequel kind of didn't run as hard as the first one, but I think that she's one of the few one of the few parts of this movie that you can look at and go, thank God she was there.
1: Yeah, no, it's I mean, I still hear Susan Eisenberg's voice from the animated series in my head, but then again, I'm I just like the animated series. That's that's just me. Uh but the thing here is that she did make very much in the same way. That Scarlett Johansson kind of stole Iron Man 2 with that being the soft boot of the Black Widow here you you did you basically soft booted Wonder Woman and you tease what was going to come like this was where setting up the DCEU made a ton of sense with the whole you know Lex somehow had this picture that like that made sense and then when you got to Wonder Woman it's like okay this is good now i can see the threads that are tying together here um but i would i I just wish there was more the one thing the one problem that i have and it has nothing to do with her is you get that whole you know you know i thought she was with you lying bath like you already know who she is you saw the picture you gave her the picture you know she's not with superman
0: And they can't even pull the stupid crap with it in the Christopher Reeve movie. Oh, she was wearing glasses. I didn't know who she was. Like, she looks exactly the same. She puts a crown on. Like, she doesn't, like, have a disguise on or anything. And I, I do, like I said, I think the last part of the movie where they all decide to be friends, that's when stuff gets good. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's also when Wonder Woman proper shows up. Godot, also really good at not just being Wonder Woman. She's a hell of a Diana Prince as well.
1: Oh, yeah. You have to nail both sides of the character when you have a secret identity you have to be both by the way we mentioned alexandra daddario was a fan choice to be wonder woman she is actually the voice of Lois Lane in the animated Superman Man of Tomorrow and will be Lois Lane in the upcoming Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths animated movies. So, you know, she's she's still kind of sort of around the DC universe.
0: She's circling. She's circling around. And I wouldn't put it past, especially when so much buzz gets made about one person playing somebody, I wouldn't put it past that somewhere down the line we get a live-action turn of her as Wonder Woman.
1: Oh, I mean, you think about... The internet basically made Rosario Dawson Ahsoka. Yes. They can, they can do the same thing for Alexandra Daddario. I'm also going
0: to say it and whisper it now. We do need a Donna Troy eventually. Oh, that would be good. We do need a Donna Troy event. Maybe we can have our cake and eat it too. Let's keep, Gale, keep Gal Gadot and just put Daddario in as Donna Troy. They're basically the same character. One's just a little bit more gruff around the edges, but he could do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing too is that we've already had a very decent uh, Donna Troy in live action in the Titans series. True. Yeah, so Connor Leslie nailed that role. She absolutely did. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to bring her into the James Gunniverse, if you will, but Alexander Daddario does make total sense in that. But since we mentioned her as Lois Lane, let's talk about Lois while we're at it here. Amy Adams, this is her second turn at the role. How was she as Lois Lane for you?
0: I think she's a really good Lois Lane. She plays off the character really well, the quiet confidence and the pluckiness she has put into the books, the movies, everything Lois has put into some ridiculous situations for someone who is a reporter. And she almost has an uphill battle from the beginning because you are just the normal reporter girlfriend of a God who is fighting a crazy billionaire who's dressing as a bat. It, very easy for background characters to get lost in the shuffle of something like this, because like I said, you're waiting for the next big set piece or explosion or fight with Play-Doh Monster Doomsday. Uh, She did really well in Man of Steel and in this. I think she brought out really good scenes with Cavill, and I think anybody else in the role wouldn't. They had really good chemistry on screen, and I don't think anybody else would have been able to do it right. It's unfortunate that the background characters, not, not that Wonder Woman is a background character in this, but she's only in it for a very short period of time. Her and Gal both were the highlights of it and they just weren't in it enough. That's how bad they fumbled it with the main kingpins of the whole thing is that you're sitting there going, well, you know, Batman versus Superman, neither of them impressed me, but Superman's girlfriend and Wonder Woman who wasn't even advertised in the poster were fantastic.
1: (laughs) Here's the thing, like Amy Adams as Lois Lane works really, really well if you take a look at the, at the actresses who have played live action, Lois Lane, at least in films, you know, Margo Kidder, Kate Bosworth, Amy Adams, and the upcoming, uh, Rachel Brosnahan, who's going to be, you know, tackling Lois Lane in the James Gunn movies. She fits right in. The only part I had a problem with was during the end, Lois. And this comes from man of steel because she already knows who Clark is. She already knows Superman is Clark. The minute you introduce Doomsday and you, you have that death of Superman arc that you're going to to end with, whether you like it or not, that's how you're going to end it. The fact that Lois already knows that Superman is Clark puts her out of her element of Lois Lane would cover this as opposed to be there for him. And that, that makes sense. We needed our reporter Lois Lane for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There were times where the occupation got lost a little bit because that's one thing about the character in the books and in some of the animated outings. She always does keep that journalistic integrity, even to the detriment of Superman at times. She will go into full reporter mode and like try to cover this massive battle that's happening across the city. And it is, you can definitely tell that they needed a more human element in there. So that was Lois for a lot of this movie and Man of Steel as well. Well, we need somebody to feel the feels because this guy's invincible. Have her do it which is good, but you also, like I said, need to have the pluckiness and kind of the courageous reporter there to balance out the character. You definitely do not want to cast Lois Lane as the damsel in distress. They didn't do that here, but they were borderline just casting her as the girlfriend and not enough as her own character. That's immensely important to the Superman character.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Most superhero films, we all know, end in a big CGI smashy smash fest if Lois is covering what's happening in Gotham with this fight, then we have those moments to pull back a little bit and get a little bit of that exposition. The other thing too is that this film, the begin, the very beginning of this film, which is one of the aside from the warehouse scene, one of the best Bruce Wayne scenes in this film you know, the whole Bruce landing in Metropolis to try to get to the building to save his people because Superman is is fighting Zod and it's that whole parallel thing with Man of Steel. Is that as he's rushing towards that building, this is where we finally get the the cost of superhero battles in metropolitan areas. And that's one of the things that this film was actually lauded for. Because Man of Steel, you totaled half of Metropolis. And in the beginning of Batman versus Superman, you had that human cost to it, and it brought a reality to it. If Lois Lane is covering the fight, then she's also once again able to reiterate that there is a human cost
0: to metahumans fighting on Earth. She should not be 100% for it happening just because her boyfriend is the one fighting Zod. And what's interesting about it is I like that even in The Flash, they referenced the Man of Steel fight. Like I said, they really wanted it to be the Battle of New York, where they talked about it in several different movies, and like that was kind of the kicking-off point of everything. And they don't really explore that theme much in any superhero movies. They never talk about the collateral damage. They never talk about uh, what happens after, like you said, half of New York gets leveled. The only thing I can think of that comes close to this is in Spider-Man Homecoming, where the Vulture makes all of his money stealing metahuman technology and Cree technology that's left over from the Battle of New York. But even that, they don't necessarily talk about the ramifications of it. It just kind of mentions it as, oh, this is where we got all of our cool guns. So to see that kind of play out is really interesting. And, like, that's one cool thing about The Flash, too, is it ties it back to that, you know, hey, a lot of people died here. But you're right. Lois shouldn't be sitting there going, you know, treating it as a sporting event. They should be much more focused on, yes, these two things are flying through fighting, but that skyscraper just fell on a school. So...
1: But there's the thing too. It's like, if Lois Lane doesn't know this that, that Clark is Superman, right? And you have this big monster fight between Doomsday, Doomsday, and, you know, everything else you all of a sudden have that opportunity for Lois to start to side with the politicians who are complaining about the the, the the human cost to metahumans fighting. And then you have that Sokovia Accords moment. And then you can use Lex Luthor using this fight with the monster that he created. I don't mind, you know, Lex Luthor finding a way to, to create this doomsday creature. He's a smart guy. He can figure that out, you know. He manufactures the disaster, then uses the disaster to propel himself to the White House. It so could have been so
0: much better. Even that purposely sick doomsday on Metropolis, knowing full well he's going to level half the city and yeah. find a way to make sure nobody knows that it's you. So then you're the silent benefactor. You had your cake. You created your own platform by unleashing this giant wrecking ball on the city, knowing full well Superman's going to have to take down like the entire entertainment district to to kill him. And then at the end, come out and go, look how much damage you guys did, even though he were the one pulling the strings. Again, I, we could write this all day long. Unfortunately, the people that were getting paid millions of dollars to do it uh, couldn't do it as well as us.
1: Oh, that being said, James Gunn, if you are listening, we are available to write these films for you. Yes,
0: I, yes sir. You know, we'll- I, I love Guardians so much. Please call me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, seriously, superhero Belko experiment. Let's make it happen. Yes. Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. Just pure oozing sarcasm. I really enjoyed his Perry White.
0: It's another background character that's better than your main characters. It, 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 this trend is all throughout this movie of people that should not outperform your main superheroes that are doing it. It's obvious because Fishburne is great anyway in everything that he does. It's really hard for him not to steal the show. But it is it's another character that like, oh, it's really a shame that they are the shining light when you have all of these big players in the ring and the background regular people steal the show completely away from them.
1: And the other thing, too, is Lawrence Fishburne's Perry White is like the anti J. Jonah Jameson in that, yes, they're both running newspapers. Yes, they're both a little on the sarcastic side. But consistently, Perry White shows his humanity towards his reporters, and J. Jonah Jameson does it almost begrudgingly.
0: He does, but I think Jonah's got a big heart, too. J. Jonah is one of my favorite comic book characters, just because even in the movies, he does still have a good heart in the long run. One of my favorite scenes from Spider-Man 1 is when the Green Goblin has him hostage, asked him who takes the pictures of spider-man and he won't give peter up even though he just met peter like two days ago it's one of my favorite dota moments because it shows he has a heart in there somewhere
1: can we just get Lawrence fishburne and jk simmons into a into some kind of newspaper movie together
0: Yeah, uh, dueling podcasts that's what we need <laughs> we need the uh daily bugle podcast from the spider-man games and then we need uh fishburne's character to have one as well and just have them like go back and forth at each other
1: no no hear me out here okay Lawrence fishburne as perry white and jk simmons as j Jonah jameson on a crossfire style talk show
0: yeah like see like a cnn debate
1: yep like left versus right i can see it now make it happen you hearing
0: this james are you hearing that out there
1: <laughs> okay i'm gonna read exactly what i wrote down on my sheet here okay jesse eisenberg as lex luthor oh god please stop
0: I just, I don't understand. I this is, this is where things start to fall apart. This is where you really start to get into the nitty-gritty of how did these multi-million dollar studios look at this and decide that the best idea to A, reinvent the wheel, which they friggin' didn't need to do with this character, out of all of them, out of all the people you didn't need to touch here, it's Lex Luthor. It's a very simple archetype to find. It's a very easy character to put on the screen. He's not a superhero. He's much like Batman. His superpower is the money. He just hates Superman with a passion. Instead, the writers decided, let's do evil Mark Zuckerberg and try to make him real enigmatic ag- and mysterious. And I, he was doing a real good impression of Kristen Stewart and Twilight the entire time for some reason and mumble <laughs> talking. I just can't. It's not Lex Luthor. It's the farthest thing from Lex Luthor, it, it almost feels like a parody of the character in a way. It feels like they tried to come up with the least likable, farthest away from the comic book source material version of this that they could.
1: I mean, it's almost like he took a look at Sam, Sam Rockwell in Iron Man two and how he played Justin Hammer and said, okay, do that, but tech millionaire, like yeah, basically channel your Elon Musk in this. And the problem is that's not Lex Luthor, if you said to me that you were going to reinvent Maxwell Lord into this kind of character, okay, I can, I can take a different take on a Maxwell yeah. Lord, not freaking Lex Luthor.
0: And the thing about it is, he I get what they were trying to do, because I think at the end of the movie, when he's bald in the prison cell, and he talks about ringing the dinner bell and setting up Doomsday, I think it was supposed to be like the evolution into what Lex Luthor was was going to be. But that doesn't make any sense because if these characters have been around for a long time, he should already be the Lex Luthor we know from the comic books or else he wouldn't have invented Doomsday. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It can't be an origin story if he's already doing Lex Luthor things. That it That is the one, that I can't say anything good about it. There's, there's nothing there. It was a complete flub. Uh, Eisenberg isn't even that bad. I like some of his movies, but it just feels like the social network if it was evil instead like that's i can't see anything else other than that
1: yeah it's like tell me you've never read a superman comic without telling exactly. me you've never read a superman comic exactly this is the it The
0: animated the animated lex luther just take that still and like superimpose it into the movie i would have been happier even if the animations didn't match i wouldn't have cared you it, just can't take a, a character that is so ingrained into the Superman mythos and change him that much.
1: And here's the thing too, like in talking about hearing voices in our heads, when we think about these characters, you have Clancy Brown already. He can step in. And I don't mind if you give Lex Luthor hair, I can live with that. If Clancy Brown and his presence and that voice, that voice.
0: Agreed. And I don't care what they look like because a lot of people were bouncing about him having long hair and not looking the part. I think the look is the least like it's comic books. There's a million different versions of a million different versions of the same character in the multiverse. That's the whole point of the multiverse is that you have like Lex Luthers that look and sound completely different, but the beats have to be the same, the core evil and the core motivations of the character have to be there or else that's when it starts to fall apart. And you're questioning, okay, is this Lex Luthor or is this something else? And it feels like something else.
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone overlooked Amy Adams not having darker hair color. Everyone overlooked Lawrence Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. Everyone could have looked over the long hair had the portrayal been more Lex, and this wasn't
0: absolutely. it. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right, let, let's dial it back a little bit here. Let's let's bring us back to the good here. Jeremy Irons as Alfred.
0: Yes, great turn probably uh oh, this is really difficult to say but if he would have had if he would have had another movie he probably would have been the best alfred i think i think he's the best that has done it uh since the 80s 90s batman movies i can't remember the name of the guy that plays alfred and knows it's also a michael something and i can't it's driving me completely insane he was obvious he's he's alfred he's the king he is the character uh even the comic books are based off of that alfred now from the 80s movies But I I think he was, again, I'm going to say it until my death, a background character that was done better, more by the book, and overall just a more complete version of what you expected than the main two players.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you had Michael Caine in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. You had Michael Goff in the... Michael Goff. That was his name. And he was one of the only two people, I think, that made all four of those Batman films before they had to take their break. And then from the Batman TV series from the Adam West era, it was Alan Napier. The thing is, Alfred got younger through the whole thing.
0: Yeah, he has too.
1: but, But he still carried on exactly what Michael Caine had brought to the role in the Christopher Nolan trilogy and it's it's exactly what you want Alfred to be not as humble man that's to me that's not Alfred because Alfred got pulled away from that from the Adam West era now Alfred's an active part of the solution and that's the way it should be
0: he is the father figure that is trying very desperately to save his son's life And that is what Alfred is. He is like, he took over for Thomas Wayne the second the parents passed away. He is the de facto father of Bruce Wayne in every piece of medium. And I'm glad that that respect stays across generations and across remakes. It's hilarious to me. I was talking about this with a friend the other day when I was talking about doing this episode. That the one thing that has almost stayed universally consistent across all Batman movies, Alfred's always great. There has not been a live-action Batman movie where Alfred was not perfectly portrayed, well written, and was done justice.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean, even when you when you go to the Batman, and again, getting younger still, but you know it's a younger Batman too, so it's okay, right? Uh, yeah. and Andy Circus as Alfred fit the tone, per, you know, well, and again, you can see Alfred actually doing stuff rather than just serving stuff.
0: Yes. And also that's just because Andy Circus is incredible and is great. When he was announced for that, that was one of the biggest castings. Where I was like, yes, that's perfect. I hope we see uh, more of him in the coming sequels.
1: Diane Lane, who played Martha Kent. Um, I like her as Martha Kent. She fits that role perfectly.
0: She even looks it. She even kind of looks like the comic book version of Martha. Obviously, you're going for this was more of a stereotypical Superman part of it, which, again, I don't understand why they didn't do that for Superman. But it was the very Ma and Pa Kent, like that's it's what you're looking for—the you know apple pie Americana uh, from the Midwest country somewhere, flannel shirt kind of thing—and she did it really, really well.
1: And when you consider, you know, she's now living as a widow, right? So um, obviously she's going to work at a restaurant. This is the this is what she's going to do in order to get by. And that's the thing: Martha Kent's drive to do what needs to be done informs Superman of what he needs to do to get things done. So it makes sense in a paternal role.
0: Oh, no. There's whole storylines written about what would have happened if the rocket ship landed somewhere else. Uh, Superman Red Son uh, lands in Russia instead, and it is Ma and Pa Kent who create Superman. Yes, you had this uh, this alien that was going to be uh, a man made of titanium, a god, like I said, no matter where he ended up. But if he didn't land in a field... In Kansas, he he wouldn't be Superman because he wouldn't have had those parental figures. Uh, The death of Paul Kent in in Man of Steel, I think, is one of the best scenes in that movie.
1: Yeah, no, it's... Ah, Kevin Costner. Can't go wrong. Holly Hunter as Senator Finch. Again, fits the role perfectly. And this is where I don't mind having, you know, that outside influence into the whole metahuman existence.
0: No, it's done really well here uh, because there's there needs to be more of it in superhero movies. There needs to be more of, like we said, the ramifications because too often they very much get blown over and everything gets tied up in a nice little bow at the end. So that's what this movie and by extension, coming out around the same time Civil War did really well, is that there finally seems to be some people holding these metahumans accountable. And she does do a really good turn at that. You believe her as this character. It's a very, very good performance of somebody who's a very much a neutral party and just going, okay, guys, I know all this cosmic, like, bullcrap is going on, but at the same time, like, we're knocking down half the city. Something needs to be done here, which is always what i talk about because as much as we want everything grounded in realism it's hard to do that because if any of this did happen in real life the first thing that would happen was the would be the government getting involved like would not take a whole battle of new york or anything as soon as somebody who could shoot lasers out of their eyes showed up they would be in guantanamo bay so fast it would make your head spin in real life
1: and that's the thing like william hurt as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross before he passed away was the epitome of the government trying to get involved. And of course, Harrison is going to carry on that role. Um, also coincidentally, um, at one point voiced by Clancy Brown in one of the animated features.
0: Nice little full circle moment there.
1: Cause Clancy Brown's freaking awesome. Do you know how, yes. m- you know how happy I was to see him in Ahsoka?
0: Haven't watched it yet. Got to read, got to read the throne books first.
1: That's right. You you have homework to do before you start watching.
0: Of course. There's always homework.
1: Smaller role, but needs to be mentioned. Tao Okamoto, who played Mercy Graves. If you have Lex Luthor, you have to have Mercy Graves. And I liked her in this role.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate that she didn't have a better Lex to play off of because I think there's a whole lot there that you could have cracked into, but unfortunately, you were just trying to deal with the uh, how do I put this without sounding like I'm a jaded comic book fan, even though I am. You're when, you, when you're acting off of something that I think... There had to be some people on set that knew this wasn't going to land. And when you're acting off of something like that, where you're cast in this role, and I'm sure there's some excitement, but then you see how far removed from Lex Luthor what you're playing with is going to be, like, there could have been a lot more done here if the Lex Luthor was better. I mean, here's the thing. You have a,
1: for lack of a term meeker Lex Luthor yes. no very much n- not the you know domineering presence that the voice of Clancy Brown would give to this having Tao Okamoto be a very bodyguard like Mercy Graves would make sense playing against Jesse Eisenberg
0: yeah almost like a Secret Service type character where you're trying to keep this like little guy safe but it's he's not intimidating so the fact that sometimes she is intimidated by him is almost off-putting because you're just like you shouldn't you should be working for somebody much better than this <laughs> like it just it makes you feel bad for the character because you're like here you are as the assistant slash like helper of you know this enigmatic like mysterious quote unquote uh evil social media network guy and it just it doesn't feel right it feels like she played mercy really really well but the whole part and opus of mercy's character wasn't there because the good Lex wasn't there
1: and then you got rid of her which is an absolute shame because she would have been perfect in all of that okay i'm gonna gonna say something i'm gonna say something and and brace yourself okay dear listeners brace yourself because i'm about to trigger the to some people save martha Is this the worst conflict resolution in the history of cinema?
0: It's not an understatement when I say that that five minutes of film is what probably tanked the first shot at the DCEU. I very truly believe that that, the movie was not good. Could have been amazing, but it was that one moment that completely shot everything that was going to come after it in the leg. What the hell is this, Jason? You have this huge conflict going on where there's like morality at play and Batman is on this crusade to rid the world of this like ticking time bomb in his mind that if he ever decided he was going to go bad, he could kill us all, which he is correct. And then you've got Boy Scout Superman who's in his emo hot topic phase who decides he is going to fight Batman for some reason and not try to be friends throughout the entire thing. And what makes them put this down is that their friggin' moms had the same goddamn first name. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Nothing in the books, it's never mentioned in the books, because of course it's not. If I'm fighting with somebody who I consider my mortal enemy, we're about to kill each other, and he went, oh wait, my mom's name is Wendy, I would not immediately throw my arms down and be like, well, we're friends. Like, that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. And it makes even less sense in this context. It, you have triggered me, obviously. But it, it, that is the moment where, when I went to watch this movie, I was uh, with a long-term girlfriend at the time. i have been with her about three or four years. Not into comic books at all. She went to watch the movies that she thought she could understand with me that weren't sequels or long-term, uh, like long-term stories. If it was the first of something, she'd come and see it just to say she saw it. We were sitting in the theater, And when that moment happened, her having no no idea about any of these characters outside of like commercials and like Superman kind of thing, she grabbed my hand and looked at me and she went, I'm really sorry because I know this is bad and I know that it's worse for you. (laughs) That was the moment that even made her a complete non-factor in all this, had no idea what was going on. She turned to me and she was like, I know this is really bad and I know you were really excited for it and I feel bad for you right now. That's how freaking bad that moment is.
1: When the uninitiated know that there is yes. healing needed, you know you're done f***ed up with your film. Yeah.
0: And that the- was the moment that almost made me walk out of the theater, Jason. I was really, really close. This was the closest I think I've ever come to physically getting up and leaving because I was so mad in a movie.
1: Here's the problem with this film. And it's not just Save Martha, because that's that's a big problem. You have a phenomenal cast minus Jesse Eisenberg. I'm still not over the him, but even with a better script maybe, maybe, but but you had everything there. You had the pieces in place. You had the hype. You you were ready to print money. And then you wrote Save Martha.
0: You had the license to print money with this.
1: Yeah. You you could have funded countries with what this film was ready to bring in. And you wrote it,
0: Save Martha. And it is, it is the perfect antithesis of the overarching problem with the movie. You have, like you said, you have the players there. You have a cast that makes not just sense on paper... But you even have the fans excited because they're like, yes, Henry and Batflick and Godot, all great. People were putting their nose up at Eisenberg. But, you know, if this did go perfectly and Eisenberg was the only sore, sore thumb sticking out, it wouldn't have been the end of the world because he wasn't that much involved in the final fight. And he was more used as a device to set up everything coming forth anyway by the time you got to the end of the movie. It could have been forgiven. It's the writing. It's the fact that the writing felt rushed. You could tell that the studio was clamoring to catch up with Marvel, and they were trying to get everything that they wanted to set up another five years of movies without having to make these characters complete first. They wanted to follow Marvel without following what Marvel did, which was take their time and set up everybody and make sure the pieces could stand on their own before putting everything together and saying, okay, now here's your big collage of all the stuff that we built. It is perfectly encapsulated with Save Martha. The problem with this and the DCEU, the first kick at it. You can't really point at any one person for that. I hate Zack Snyder as the director of this, but it's not his fault. It's not Eisenberg's fault. He was just Lex Luthor. All of it comes down to this was just written poorly. It just seemed like nobody involved in this had any idea what these characters were supposed to be doing here.
1: I mean... When you take a look at Captain America Civil War, and you have to take a look at that film, because not only did it come out in the same year, but it was the same general concept: Captain America versus Iron Man. And even that film, straight away from what we know in the comic books, is actually Civil War. You know, the the entire impetus for the Marvel Universe choosing sides and what really caused the sokovia courts at least in the comic books but in the way that the lines were drawn made sense and the fact that you did not have conflict resolution at the end of this
0: no you didn't at all and it's really interesting because the two films are very similar in a couple of different ways but the biggest one to me that i always point to Civil War also had the absolute monumental friggin task of introducing Spider-Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. And, and they nailed that too. Yeah, like they nailed it too. like and there's no excuse why they couldn't have done the exact same thing with this movie if they'd have taken their time and written the characters correctly. Because, yes, they did go off the page of Civil War because they didn't have all the characters that they needed. The Fantastic Four played a huge part in Civil War. Reed Richards was a big, big part of it. Obviously, they couldn't do it. They went the Disney version of it, but they kept the pieces similar and wrote everybody the way they were supposed to be written and just changed kind of the the explosion that made everybody draw the line, like you said. Yeah. In this, they didn't even have the pressure of having movies lead up to this beforehand. They, they had no excuse in my mind of, of it turning out like it did.
1: I mean, I, I'll i give credit where credit is due. You know, if we're going to draw the parallels to Civil War, and you really can't not do that, I think Batman v Superman soft-booted Wonder Woman in the sim- similar way that they soft-booted Spider-Man Civil War, and both worked very, yes. very well, because you didn't need to do the origin story. We know Spider-Man's origin. We don't need to see,
0: you know... We don't need to see Uncle Ben die for yeah. a time. We just don't. We just really
1: don't. You know, we don't need to see Wonder Woman flying from Themyscira in her invisible jet to come to Metropolis because, no, she's already in the world. And we'll get her backstory in the next movie. That's totally fine, right? Yes. We didn't need to see... uh martha and thomas wayne get shot again although at least they at least they did the speed run use that as the opening credits like
0: yeah at least it was done quickly but it doesn't need to be said at this point if you're going to watch batman versus superman you know what's going on yeah you're here for this like you don't nobody goes into it saying who's superman who's batman how did they get why are they fighting like if you don't know that you're you're obviously not paying the money to go see it you're going to read a cliff note or two before you do and that's what I mean. The parallels have to be drawn because they are insanely similar movies. The only thing is, one was written well.
1: I mean, I still wish we could have had Jeffrey Dean Morgan and uh, Lauren Cohen in a you know alternate Flashpoint style storyline where one is the Joker and one is Batman, and who? What could have been female?
0: Female Joker, female Flashpoint Joker is such a big missed opportunity in that Flash movie. I'll always say that. I know it's probably because there's Joker fatigue going on a little bit because the last couple times they tried to put the character in live action, it just caused riots, for lack of a better term. Oh, so,
1: Jared Leto. <clears throat> we ooh, we, we already went down that road when we covered Suicide Squad. and
0: Yeah. Whoo, yeah. just uh, There's too much. I'm, not, I've, I'm already angry enough from talking about Eisenberg. I can't even crack into that right now. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't doing this show when you guys did Suicide Squad because I would have just... Had an aneurysm live on the air.
1: <laughs> I, I can see it now. And then Jared Leto. Yeah, and
0: then, just I can't.
1: Yep. I can't. Show's over. Thanks, everyone. Um, okay, so let's get to the goods. It's time. Who is your MVP of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice?
0: It's Gail Gadot. It's Wonder Woman. It is the third part of the Trinity of DC the only one that seemed to get the care and attention that she deserved. Maybe it's because she wasn't in it long enough and they didn't have time to screw it up, but she does, I think save the last half of this movie. So it's, it's, it's Godot all the way. And it always will be. She's the one shining light in this.
1: She's good. And she is a shining light. There's a zero question about that, but not my shining light. My shining light is Jeremy Irons.
0: Good choice. I that's mean, a really good choice
1: very much in the same way that um jarvis kind of helped iron man you know in his disembodied version humanize iron man alfred has always been the humanizing element to everything else that goes around him right he is surrounded by metahumans on a regular basis and yet he still carries forward and is you know dutifully making sure that Batman doesn't completely wreck himself.
0: And that he eats. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite the, the human element, like you said, is what the best part about Alfred, him coming back after like just having a giant fight with killer croc to like home cook food. I always think that's adorable whenever it's, whenever it's acted out and Jeremy irons, he does a more father figure like Alfred than some of the other ones did. So I don't disagree with that pick whatsoever. When you have this movie you have to take the good and really put it on a pedestal and so that's 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 a that's a good choice
1: but it also carries the sarcastic tone that was brought by Michael Goff, by Michael Kane and now by Jeremy Irons like it it was it was pitch perfect absolutely pitch perfect and then you can't go wrong with Gal Gadot either because yes the monumental moment of seeing Wonder Woman on the big screen for the first time like That can't be...
0: Can't be understated. Yeah, it can't be understated. And the importance can't be understated because it was the first female superhero to really get her flowers, to get the spotlight and to hold something up on her own and not have a team around her. Because before this, the closest we came was Black Widow and to a lesser extent, Scarlet Witch. But they weren't A players. They were very much like the fillers of the team up until now, obviously, as things evolve. Uh, After Wonder Woman, they get their own movies but it had to, Wonder Woman had to happen first. There would be no Black Widow movie. There would be no WandaVision. Uh, there wouldn't be a whole lot of things if it wasn't for Gail Godot and her turn as Wonder Woman. I mean,
1: yes, you had, and I can't believe I'm bringing these up here, so bear with me here. You had Electra, even though it came after Daredevil.
0: <laughs> oh, God.
1: I know. I, I Still got to point it we out, gonna, right? Are we going
0: to throw Halle Berry's Catwoman in there too?
1: No, but I am going to throw in 1984's Supergirl, which starred Helen Slater as Kara Zorel. So it's not like, you know, we didn't have female-led superhero films, but they just weren't as pitch perfect as that first Wonder Woman film.
0: Or fleshed out, because a lot of the movies from back then, the Electra movie, I completely scrubbed that from my consciousness just because, wow, the Supergirl movie was much less by the comic books as well, and it was much more... It's not a spin-off, I don't want to stay of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies but it Wouldn't have existed in its own form without the Superman Christopher Reeve movies Where I think if Wonder if Gal Godot's Wonder Woman wasn't in Batman versus Superman You could have still made that first Wonder Woman movie and it would have been just as big of a Hit because it was incredible by itself I mean
1: if you want To sum up the Supergirl film In you know a couple of Words Canon films
0: Yeah that's
1: all you need to say yeah, 100%. And you know, somewhere down the road, we're going to go down that road too. Oh,
0: man, you just like to get my blood pressure up, Jason.
1: I, at, le- at least no one said save Martha in that one. <laughs>
0: uh, <the> name. <laughs> see, that's the thing. The name Martha still holds like hatred to me because I have met people named Martha in my travels since this movie's come out. And every time after the conversation, I always have like a chill go down my spine because it's just like, oh God.
1: How does that conversation go? Hi, I'm Lyle. Hi, I'm Martha. Why did
0: you say that name? Why did you say that name?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lyle, thank you so much for this. Now, before we go, please let our listeners know where they can find you out there on the internets and where they can hear you.
0: You can hear me at Anthem Sports and Entertainment. I'm involved with some Impact Digital stuff. Also, AM 640 Toronto. If you listen to. Toronto Today, Danny Stover, really any of the any of the great shows on that radio station. You'll hear my voice every once in a while doing some ads and whatnot. And to you,
1: our listeners, thank you for listening to this show out there on the interwebs. Now, you guys know the drill. If there's a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in Martha that we can find anything good to say (laughs) about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, make sure you check out all of our other shows, including the brand spanking new one, Spin Shuffle Skip, over on the There Can Only Be One channel. Until next time, he's Lyle. I'm Jay. You guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.